Hey, what's going on, Internet? This is Andrew from the future. Uh, Just so you know, we kind of ran into a small microphone issue for the first, I don't know, maybe 10 minutes of this episode. But just bear with us. Uh, If you hear something kind of weird, you know, we fixed it eventually. But yeah, once you get past the first 10 minutes or so and we get into the actual discussion about expositional preaching, we're good to go. So thanks for listening and I will catch you later. All right. Episode 11, Mike. Episode 11. Yes. Yeah, we have a count now. Yes, we do. We do. Last time, I didn't know what count it was. This time, I'm for sure, it's 11. Awesome. So, hey, uh, welcome back. We were missing you last time. So, uh, you, you were on vacation, right? I was on vacation. All right. So, what? how was your vacation? Vacation was really wonderful. We, uh, we took kind of two weeks. I, I came back for a, a few days in the middle of it, but we took a... Two weeks, we went camping for one of those weeks with the kids uh, over at a KOA in Astoria and had a great time hanging out at Fort Stevens and met some new friends. And the KOA is, is kind of like camping, but it's more like uh, being at a resort. There's pools and lots of kids running around, fun time. So when people say glamping, is that what they're referring to? Kinda, yeah, I think okay. a lot of people actually, that, that's probably more precisely like a hotel. Okay. But it's kind of like that. I mean, we, we actually stayed in tents. Okay. So you can go to a KOA and you can stay in a cabin and it can have running water and electricity and, and all of the, the you know, modern technologies, refrigeration. But you're outside. That's, that's why it's you're not camping. Home. Yeah. yeah, okay. But we, we, we stayed in a tent. We packed everything. We cooked our own food, all that stuff. Had a great time. Had decent weather and met some new friends. And then the second part of that, Jess and I celebrated our 15th anniversary. 15 years. Nice, man. We did this amazing thing. We dropped the kids off with grandparents. Ooh. And we had like four days alone. Okay. Most of which we just stayed near here. We went hiking and ate out and ate in and had just a really nice time. Well, that's good. In my mind, sometimes I'm always thinking like, hey, did you enjoy your time here in the Pacific Northwest? Like, I want to talk to you. Like, you moved here from like Chicago or something. Right. And I forget that like when you came here, you just came from the north. Yeah. So like an hour or two away. So you're familiar with Washington. I'm very familiar. Yeah, you know, you know what's up around here. In fact, I grew up camping uh, by going and finding like old log roads and really kind of roughing it. Not in a KOA, no electricity, no running water. We would go find uh, a nice flat spot by a river somewhere and we would just make a great spot to camp for four or five days. That's how I grew up camping. That's awesome. So the KOA is totally different than what it was like for me as a kid. Yeah, I just got into backpacking a couple years ago, and that's that's been fun trying to rough it. And I, I've i never gone to the KOA. I've always gone to, like, uh, national parks, and yeah. you just do whatever, hang yeah. out on the streets and stuff. I Honestly, camping, all it was for me was just hanging out by the fire. I love fire. I think every boy does. Yeah. I would just roast marshmallows or roast corn. But, uh, yeah. So, question then, when you roast a marshmallow, yeah. do you burn it or do you roast it so it's perfectly golden and like liquid on the inside? Oh, dude, I scorched that thing. Wrong. Dude, no, 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 this is the You're right one of the, oh, Yeah, I burn that sucker. No, 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 no. Then I pull off that charred husk I eat that then I burn it again that's what my wife does eat that <laughs> us. and then but here, I work it all the way down and then with a little I make it golden okay and then I put that in the so the, there's like a little bit of redemption for you oh there. yeah I, I mean I like the the gold whatever but man I'll, I think it's not because I like the flavor of charred marshmallow I think it's just like burning something okay I think that's what it is for me okay so but Jessica she's all about that she does that okay. I'm, I'm the opposite I will I, I just I the perfect golden brown. It's like liquid on the inside. It is incredible. And so 
Everyone busts out all the s'more stuff, and I usually okay. just roast two marshmallows, okay, one at a time. Eat those, and I'm, I'm pretty set. Have you? Are you a sucker for the classic s'more, or do you like to add things to a s'more? My family likes to add things for the s'more. I, okay. I actually, I mean, s'mores are okay. Yeah, I actually just prefer roasted marshmallow, just straight the marshmallow. That's pretty good. That's what I do. I recently discovered instead of using a chocolate bar or whatever, you actually use a peanut butter cup. Yep, and that blew my mind. So Jessica was putting uh, peanut butter on the graham crackers this oh. last game trip, and then putting the chocolate and everything. And Asher was putting what were they Sour Patch Kids in his s'more. Oh, I I don't know if I can handle that. He loves it. Oh, you know I'll have to try that. So, well, Mike, it is good to have you back. We've had uh, some interesting people fill the pulpit since you were gone. I think we had Elder Phil Peters. Elder, yeah, Phil Peters. And I was excited to have him there. He. His message was, I, it was a pearl of great price. Yeah. And that, yeah, it just means so much to me to to think about, like, I, I, we're coming into this, the, the 4th of July, and, and, and people get really excited about, you know, America, and we think about our rights and things, and, and all. People fight for a lot of privileges that we want, rights, not just privileges. And in my mind lately, I've been wondering, I've been asking myself, man, like, is there anything that I uphold greater than the gospel, things I'm like vocal about politically or something like that. And that message just challenged me to remember, to, for me, I, I was reminded that, man, my citizenship is in the kingdom of heaven. That's good. And so I, I really appreciated his message when, when, I, when I heard it. That's really good. It makes me think about, you know, you talk about us and our rights and our freedoms. Yeah. And yet Jesus, what did he do? Is he emptied himself of all of that. Yeah. And he had more rights and freedoms than anyone. Yeah. He emptied himself of that. But, right. And lowered himself. Willingly gave up on, death on a cross, right? Yeah. And that's that's our example. That's really challenging. Not cleaning yeah. our rights, but letting go of them. Letting them go so we could serve others. So I, I don't know. But so I was challenging to to listen to that. And then you gave me the opportunity to speak on uh, something. The laborers. The laborers this last weekend. So that was that was a fun message. Thank you for that opportunity. Yeah, good job. So thank you. And you were you were around for that. Yeah, I forgot you were you were there. But uh, yeah, it's good to have you back last time we recorded I actually got to interview Stephen Klukas I listened to that did you did you enjoy that I did we rambled a lot so I enjoyed it it was fun okay good I I hope to have him back because he he told me that he though we talked about worship there's so much more and I'm sure there is more we could talk about and so I'd like to have him back at another time actually I I thought it'd be cool if you guys did a podcast together because I'm going to be gone yeah uh, Royal Family Kids Camp the only thing I remember from you guys' podcast is you guys talking about wearing diapers in high school together. Dude, I was listening. <laughs> I was listening to that, and that part came up about like, yeah, we've known each other since we were in diapers. Oh, yeah, in high school or something like that. And it just, I forgot I said that. It just it cracked me up. Yeah. So, so today's interesting. Uh, today we're going to start talking about uh, nine marks of a healthy church, mm-hmm. right? Why why is it important to know? I guess what a healthy church is. Yeah, there's uh, you know. Church is interesting. There comes in all sorts of different varieties and all sorts of different kind of nuances or emphasis. Uh, but but what what is the difference between a church that's healthy and just a church that's growing or big? How, how do we know the church is doing the right things, the things that the, the, the scripture tells us to do? That it reflects the scripture and Jesus's commands. Um, and, and so that's why we're having this conversation. And so there's a book called Nine Marks of a Healthy Church, which lays out some, some helpful observations about what it looks like to be healthy. And we read through it as a staff last year, and we just thought it would be a, great to share some of what we discussed 
yeah. with our broader audience and let them hear some of how we understand what it looks like to be healthy, what it looks like to, to aim at these marks so that we're not just um, a church that looks like the world. Right. We're not just the church that's trying to fit in or be cool with the culture, but instead we're a church that's actually built on biblical principles so that we can not just have people come to church and, and come to a service, but so that we can be a church. We can be the people of God on mission for God's purposes. Yeah, and I think it's important for people to understand that there are not every church is necessarily a healthy or a good church. And not just like I'm, I'm not trying to be prideful in what we do because we strive to be healthy. There's always room to grow for any and every church. But we just had a uh, pastor's luncheon where uh, someone visiting our church was refreshed by the idea that we we that we openly talk about the gospel. That's right. Implying that there are churches that don't either don't openly talk about the gospel or are not based on gospel principles. And that's, listen, it, in my personal opinion, and I think biblically, it, that's a waste of time that if you're going to be a part of a church that's like that, because that's, that's about good works. And that's not about what, what Christ has done. Yeah. I mean, this is not the, this podcast, but we've talked about moralistic therapeutic deism before, right? Which yeah. is saying, I go to church because there's a God who wants me to be moral. He wants me to be a good person. He's therapeutic. He wants me to feel good about myself. And so then I believe in this ambiguous God out there that wants those things for me, right? And a lot of churches, they, they fall on that because it's, it's, it's scary to talk about hard things. And it's easy to talk about how God loves you and he's got an awesome plan for your life or he wants to bless you instead of realizing that that's not the full picture. Right. And that's part of it. God does love people, but there's a, a call to discipleship. There's a call to obedience. There's a call to risk and walk in faith. All those things that... that really show, man, this is about faith. This is about God, not about me. Right. Right. And so we need to be openly talking about the gospel and pointing people to genuine hope. And so that's what we're talking about today. We're going to be talking about the nine marks of healthy church that lend itself into being a gospel oriented church. Uh, the author is Mark Devers, right? Mm -hmm. So I actually don't really know his background. I, I saw the publisher and I was like, usually the people who publish these books are pretty on the ball. So I just trusted that. Do you know any much about? Do you know much hey, about? Pastor was out in DC at Capitol. I think it's called Capitol Hill Baptist Church. Okay, and um, he's so a good old Baptist boy. For, That's good. He's been pastor for decades. Okay, and uh, and this this book originally came out of a letter that he wrote to a I, I think to a church planter uh, that was birthed out of a series of messages he gave at his church talking about okay. what, what does it look like for us to be healthy. Okay, and I think that's kind of where Valley is right now. We're we're you know we've got this great history, this great foundation. Yeah. And saying, okay, what's our next season? Our, our next season is let's let's shore up what it means to be a church. Let's shore up what it looks like to be healthy. Let's shore up an understanding, a proper understanding of doctrine and theology and practice, yeah. so that we can be a church that's not just gathering and but and reaching people, but reaching people and then growing people. Yeah, one hundred percent. So today, the first mark of that book is expositional preaching. That's the topic of the day. Are you, you ready to jump in on this? Let's do it. All right. All right, so expositional preaching. Mike, can you define that for our listeners? Yeah, I mean, a, a simple way to, to talk about it is it's it's taking a text and being faithful to that text. It's pulling the meaning out of that text. We've talked about this before in other ways, but, but exegetically, like pulling the meaning out of that text. And so it's letting that text drive the sermon. So someone who preaches expositionally, they, they come to the pulpit and they say, this is what God's word says. And that they're, 
taking God's word and that that is what they're sharing. They're not coming there and saying, hey, this is something God's word says. And then they're sharing all their ideas or they're using God's word as a launch pad to say, here's actually what I really want to say, or here's my ideas. It's the, the primacy of God's word driving the preaching moment. Yeah. One thing you said is taking meaning out of the text and making sure that people understand it, and that, which is that's exegetical as opposed to what I was taught was eisegetical where mm-hmm. people read meaning into the text. Right. One of the classic examples that I use every time when I talk about exegetical versus eisegetical is uh, I think it's Philippians when Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Yeah. When I was uh, in high school, there was a boy going to a church. He was, he just, he started playing the guitar and he was growing and he wanted to be involved and he, he started being part of the worship team and he was getting better at playing the guitar. And then he told his, his youth pastor, Hey, I want to lead worship. And he didn't have the vocals to do that. And the youth pastor at the time said, Hey, you know, maybe you should grow into this. Maybe we'll give you some practice, but right now we don't really feel like this is the place or the time for you to do so. And he shot back and no, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I can do all things. God's put this on my heart and I'm going to run with this. And that's not what that text means. No, it is not. Right. And so, and that's, we've talked about folk theology in the past and why I'm passionate about proper theology is that because when you take, when you start making the Bible say whatever you want it to say, you offer people false hope and false ideas. And then what happens is people tend to get mad at God for something that well-meaning Christians have made up to answer some sort of woe. Yeah. So that's why, for me, I, I love the idea of expositional preaching, and I was, I'm so thankful I was trained in that, and I'm happy we're talking about that today. Mm-hmm. So expositional preaching, uh, I guess when, when I think of exegetical, exegetical preaching, I tend to think that people who are taking like a book out of the Bible, and they're going verse by verse, chapter by chapter, just all yeah. the way through. And that's not necessarily always exegetical preaching, right? You can exegete a passage mm-hmm. and kind of bounce around. And we, we kind of do that with uh, some of the series yeah. that we, we do. So you've defined it. Um, what are the benefits, I guess, of exegetical preaching? Or how do you know? Actually, let's just start with, we'll start with benefits first. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to unwrap, but, but it really, the, the biggest benefit, it, it allows God to be God in his church. Right. We, we are saying this is God's word and we're following his God, God's word. We're lifting up his word and we're making this about what God has said, not about what, what I'd like or what I want. So you say it allows God to be God because they were preaching God's word. What is it about exegetical preaching that lets us know that this is for sure God's word and yeah. not like Andrew's? Yeah. Interpretation of something to make yeah. you so, like him more. So much of that has to do with context. And, yes. and handling the full passage. So go back to that Philippians, I think it's 413. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Yes. Right. The apostle Paul is in prison. He's talking about his life coming to an end soon. He, he's expecting that. He has very little in terms of worldly goods, except for what the Philippian church has provided for him. And so what he's saying right there is he's saying, I can suffer for the gospel. I can go with very little I can, I can deal with being imprisoned and being, uh, facing the, 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 the possibility of death. I can do all of that through Christ who gives me strength. He's not saying I can do a hundred pull-ups. He's not saying I can, I can have the vocals of whoever the latest pop singer is. He's saying I can do what God's called me to do in suffering for the name of Jesus Christ. That's 
what I get strength for, right? And so that's understanding the full context of that passage. That's understanding the full context of that book. That's understanding that book in its context of its place in the New Testament in relationship to who Jesus is. That's even understanding its context in, in the Old Testament and, and everything that's led up to that moment. Right. And so that's saying, I, I am going to look at the, the text in its context, right? And so a lot of times when we teach this, we say, okay, we want to look at the, the literal meaning of the words, in the passage, right? Mm-hmm. We want to look at its grammar, how it all fits together. We want to look at its uh, historical context, like what is the history around this? Um, and those are those are the key pieces, right? Yeah. Yeah, and that makes sense. So we talk about the benefit, and when the benefit is allowing God to be God, and that's assuming that as a Christian, we desire the presence of God, and hopefully, hopefully you do. And at that point, it also elevates the word of God to authority. Yep. Because none of if if a preacher is preaching exegetically, truly exegetically, we don't speak on our own authority. We speak on the authority of God's word. And it, as as preachers, I know for me, this isn't it, it, it cuts to my heart. It's not like I'm up here preaching and it, I'm perfect. It cuts to my heart. I feel like I need to cut my heart first before it goes out into into the congregation. Oh, if it doesn't, then you're missing a step, right? Oh, yeah, 100%. And so it, it allows God's word to be central mm-hmm. to to everything and anything that we do. And it if you learn something from it, hopefully you do, it should give you the confidence to know this is the truth yeah. to which you can build your life upon. Yeah. So that's, I, I love exegetical preaching. So when you are sitting in a, well, okay, for example, um, there, there have been times you've been sitting in the, in the audience and you and I have gone to hear other people preach and teach and things like that too. What are you looking for that lets you know this person is preaching exegetically? Yeah, I mean, I get the first thing is how much they actually look at the text they're, that they're speaking about. Yeah. Uh, if, they, if they read the text or mention the text and then they don't return to it for a long time, Usually I, I find those are the messages that it seems like they, they're wandering away from the main idea of the text. Yes. I love to see them going back to the text over and over and over again. I love to see the text drive the flow of the sermon. And so if they're preaching and they're, they're systematically working through the entirety of the passage that they're preaching, that that's typically going to be very expositional exegetical because they're allowing the argument and the passage or the flow of the passage to become the argument of the message and the flow of the message. Right. It, it, the sermon is, is parallel to the passage of scripture and it's not hard to figure out where the preacher is going or what they're saying. It's not hard to say, well, where do they get that from? Because it's, it's right. It's right in front of you there. Yeah. There's an image, uh, one, one of the guys we, we listen to, Stephen Lawson, he talks about how the preacher should always have his finger on the Bible, right? And so if he's standing on one side of the pulpit, if he's standing on, on one side of the pulpit, he's got one finger on the Bible. And if he switches to the other side, he switches hands and he has his other finger pointing to the Bible because everything he's saying is coming out of the text of the scripture. Right. And that's not to be confused with uh, illustrations. I think what you're getting at is that the the, the the word of God is what's driving the message, the arguments, the main idea, everything is d- based on the word of God, as opposed to there are times I've watched people do uh, either use pop psychology or just psychology as the crux of their message, mm-hmm. statistics or data. You know, this isn't a TED talk. You're, this, this is the word of God. This is preaching and it, they exegetical preaching for a healthy church needs to come from the word of God. Yeah. There are many times a pastor who may be gifted in speaking 
may just use personal stories and using the, the it's just story after story after story. And it sounds very Christian. It might yeah. even be very Christian principle stories. And it pulls on your heartstrings and all of that. Right. But it doesn't, it doesn't get to the, the heart of the text. Right. And so I, I know for me, I'm always listening for like what you just said, is the passage really being used or is it just a launching point that loosely connects with a story they want to share, which is the main point of, of their message? Because there are, there, are, there are charlatans. There are people who view the pulpit as um, influence and authority, and they mm-hmm. want that notoriety. They want that popularity. They want to yeah. be able to be uh, just seen as a, an authority figure. And so they, they just do whatever they can yeah. to entertain from the stage. That's actually the word that was going through my mind. We're, we're not there to entertain. Right now, if, if a story fits and it, it fits with the text and it, and it gets a people to lighten up or, or to consider things from a different light, that, that's fine. But that's not our goal. Right. Right. I, I, there will be messages I preach that people will not laugh at all. And I'm OK with that. Yeah. Right. I'm, I'm actually finding that more and more uh, for myself. There, I, I had this conversation with someone in a, in a, in one of our leadership conversations we had that there's, there's a difference when, when preparing for a message, there's the skill of exegeting a passage and then there's the skill of delivery, mm-hmm. right? Those are two different things. So someone could parse the word of God very well, but they may not be able to deliver that message very well. Those are two different skills. It's often called the art and science of it, right? Yeah. 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 The science of interpreting a text well and then the art of delivery. Yeah. And I think, just my natural knuckleheadedness has lent me to be a little more artistic when I speak. I look at my, my older messages, but lately I find myself more and more as we attack heavier topics, like I'm making less jokes as time goes on for me. And I'm seeing more and more like the weight of the word come through. And that's, that's because it's the Bible. It's not based on my stories. It's not based on whatever I use illustrations for my own life. But the, hopefully when I'm preaching, my goal is that the word of God is truly the, the pinnacle of what's what's happening. And that's the sign of a healthy church is that the word of God mm-hmm. is coming through. How how does expositional preaching kind of shape the rest of the church? Because in the book, Nine Marks, it's is written as the first mark. Yep. Um, and it's not that's not on accident. Nope. So how does that impact the rest of of the, the well, church? The reason it, it the reason it's the first mark I think is because it it makes the word of God center of everything in the church. Yeah. The word of God is center. So the church is not built on a personality. The church is not built on a system or a structure. The church is not built on a program or the ministries it offers. The church is, is built upon God's word, right? Yes. And in a proper understanding and a proper delivery of it. And if that's done well, you have uh, God's man in the pulpit, with God's word, preaching to God's people, and then God's spirit does what only God's spirit can do. Yes. It guides in truth, it convicts hearts, it leads people toward repentance, toward godliness, toward sanctification and Christ-likeness. That, that's, this is the powerful moment of a weekend worship service, right? And then everything else gets built off of that. And so when he goes through the rest of the marks, you see God's word is, is the foundation for each of those, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also how God grows a church. You look at in, in Acts when the apostles got up and they preached what they preached. They preached the Old Testament scripture in the context of, of New Testament, Jesus's death and resurrection. And that's when the church grew. And even Paul, his, his instructions to Timothy, I, I'm actually going to quote from the book in one spot because I just love the way 
Mark Deverotti. He says, this is why Paul told, or this is why, uh, he's jokingly, he says, joking here, he says, this is why Paul told Timothy to form a committee, right? Of course not. To take a survey? No. Paul never told anyone to take a survey either. He says, spend yourself in visiting? Read a book? No, Paul never told young Timothy to do any of those things. Paul told Timothy straight and clear to preach the word. This is the great imperative. Preach the word that comes out of 2 Timothy 4.2. Preach the word. In fact, it'd be worth it to read that whole passage right there. Let me yeah. pull it up. Let's hear it. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, Always be sober-minded, endure suffering, and do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. And this is that Paul's instruction to Timothy, it centers on this charge. I mean, this charge is intense. He's saying, Timothy, I got something I'm going to tell you to do. And it's in front of God and Jesus Christ, who's going to come and judge the living and the dead. Every creature that has ever existed, right? Yeah. And what does he tell him to do? Be loving, be kind, preach, preach. The word. Yeah. This is why it's such an important mark. This the, the church rises and falls on the preaching of the word of God. Yes. With that said, the, that passage brings up, you know, people are going to be looking for people who will tickle the ear. And what that is, it's, it's this, it's this battle of justification versus truth. We see it on Facebook all the time right now. It's justification, the, not theologically, but like not, yeah, yeah. justifying how I want to live. Exactly. Yeah. Justifying justification of my own political agenda, justification of how I live right now. I, I love and I hate getting on Facebook because at times I'll see it's telling, I guess, in a lot of ways. People will post quote unquote articles, uh, truth. Really, they're just memes. They, they, they quote and they, they, they cite sources, but all, most of the times nowadays we don't have good sources. We're just sources citing another source because it's some person who happens to agree with what you're saying and because they've hit the publish button now all of a sudden they think they're an authority. So we see people instead of saying, Hey, I want to conform my life to truth because that's inconvenient. Instead, I'll go find information that'll support my agenda and it'll justify my stance. Right now we have people who are looking who who will preach stories or who will preach traditions and they'll preach from psychology or they'll preach from a political agenda, not because they want to, they are aligning themselves with truth, they're pushing something or they're trying to justify their existence or their being. And that's not healthy for a church. No. As Christians, we are hungry for the truth of God because we want to build our lives upon what will last. And that's hopefully people are hungry for truth. That's why I love exposition, expositional preaching. I, I, th- I shared this in a, in a previous podcast, I think, but like I, I was told as a kid that God would not let my family fall apart because God hates divorce and Christians don't get divorced. That'll never happen. And that's not what the Bible says at all, but because someone wanted to offer me hope. Now that's not a bad thing, but they offered me false hope. It, I built my life on that. I built my expectation of God on that and it came crumbling down. 
That's why we need truth, not falsehood, not justification. We need truth. And that's why I love, I, I love when I hear other people preaching the word and being faithful to that text. I agree. And, and you know, it's this, uh, this tension because people are looking for those who will itch their ears, right? They, they, they will not endure. The term is sound doctrine. And there, so there are, there are places you can go and people will, they will take shortcuts. They will cut corners. They won't, they won't preach the entirety of scripture. Right. They will avoid the tough topics. And even this week in our, in our Valley Bible reading plan, we're reading through acts right now. We're almost to the end of acts. And, uh, and I think it was Monday we read acts 20 and Paul is talking to the, the elders in Ephesus and twice he uses the, this phrase. I did not shrink back. He says it in verse 20, he says, uh, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable in teaching you in public and from house to house. And then again, in verse 26 and 27, he says, therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. And this is, I mean, this is why we preach expositionally and why we strive to preach the difficulties, the, the, the tough spots of scripture that, that challenge our culture and, and how easy it is for us to look like the culture today because it, it, it keeps us from having those itching ears. Yeah. It, it keeps us growing and sanctified. It reminds us we're not there yet, that we have to keep growing. We have to keep reading the word of God. We have to continually fight to make sure Jesus is center and Lord of our life, that we're not getting pulled away by what you said, political agendas. We're not getting pulled away by, by entertainment. We're not getting pulled away by hobbies right. or all these other things that, that we can love, but, but we are fighting to keep Jesus at the very center of our life. And, and I think good expositional preaching does that. Yeah, it does. So you brought up, you brought up an idea when you were reading through, you know, preaching through the entire counsel of God. Let's, I, I want to pivot here in a little bit. Uh, in college, I was trained that there is a difference between exegetical preaching and topical preaching. Topical being like, here's a topic and we'll just preach on this for a while versus exegetical typically was introduced to me as like, Hey, we're going to read through, or we're going to preach through the book of Luke and we're going to do the entire book of Luke. Like mm -hmm. we'll spend the next year and a half on Luke. Is that, is that, are we on the same page? Is that to me? Yeah. Yeah. I think you can preach topically, mm -hmm. uh, expositionally, if you understand it in, in a theological construct. Yeah. And that's why I think about, there are times that we've done at Valley. We have been for, since I've been here, we've typically have been pretty topical, but each time a passage is brought together, it's, it's, uh, you have to do the exegetical and the historical and the theological back, background backwork between each passage just to make sure everything is understood within its context. But I know I, I do kind of favor, I do like the idea of going book by book, verse by verse. I, there's something about that. Mm -hmm. Just seeing that, that, that initial thought process of a book and just seeing how it blooms yeah. uh, in its entirety as you read through it is, it's pretty powerful. And we're leaning toward that more and more. Right. Yeah. And so we went through Colossians. We did kind of a, a flyby of Colossians. Right now we're in a series on the Psalms mm -hmm. and or not the Psalms. That's we're the next to. series. That's yeah. the next one. But this series it's, uh, it's on parables. And so this is a theological theme that ties the parables together. Mm -hmm. And, and so e even the series before this, we did it on conflict. It was basically like a, uh, 
the theology of relationships and mm-hmm. conflict broken up into different weeks where we took one main passage each week and expositionally handled that passage. Yeah. I, I think I bring it up because in college I was told that those who preach topically, it's kind of cheating in a little bit because you never, if you're not, you can pick and choose the, top, the passages you hit. And sometimes there are trouble passages or controversial passages, passages that you could say, mm, you can avoid them all together. I can avoid this and just keep the peace. Yeah. And I say that, uh, and someone once argued to me that topically it's cheating. It's cheating to go book by book because you just know what you're preaching for the next year. So you never have to take a look at like, what does your congregation need mm-hmm. and address that. And I can see that argument either way. I, the idea is that God's word needs to be God's word. Yeah. And that's what matters the most to me. And, and I think, our bread and butter becoming working through passages, working through books, working through larger sections together as our kind of our Mm go-to. And then in in those right times to do the topical that is built on a robust theology and, and really solid passage work. That's not just taking verses out of context. Right. I think that's usually the critique against the topical is people end up stringing together verse after verse after verse that are out of context to say what they want to say instead of actually saying what the passage, what a passage says. Yeah. Who are, uh, I guess as people hunger and thirst maybe for exegetical preaching, are there any preachers that you like to listen to that maybe you would recommend to other people to, to listen? I, I, I bring this up mainly because as a church, I think if I could put my thumb on a theme for the last year and a half, it's been really the elevation of God's word being God's word. Mm-hmm. And I see, I see people as we've been going through reading plans, as we've been studying more theology, as we've done like a Bible study methods class, that people are, like, their minds are being unlocked, their hearts are being touched by the depth and beauty of God's word. And it's becoming truly an authority in their lives. Because I think in the journey of becoming a Christian, we know that God's word is pretty important, but sometimes we tend to see it as an authority, but we still hold on to familiar things. But as you grow in it, you start to see like, no, 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 this is the authority. And mm-hmm. I think we're starting to see that more and more at Valley. So if there are people who are, I guess, hungering for, for other preachers, you know, not other than, than you and me, if they're just looking for some other podcasters or, or books, do you, do you have some recommendations or do you have people that you like listening to? Yeah. So generally I, I recommend people listen to older, well-established yeah. pastors and preachers because sometimes the you never know the turns that some of younger ones take. And we've seen that in the last decade. We've seen yeah. people that I used to recommend that are now discredited in, in ministry or, mm-hmm. or even still doing ministry, but doing it in wonky ways. Um, and so, I mean, you, you got guys like John MacArthur who've been preaching a long time. Yeah. And, you know, I, I you got to be careful. I, I would not say I agree with everything that guy preaches or says. I wouldn't say that about any preacher. Right. But he has a proven track r- record of being faithful to the text. I mean, we, we went and listened to Stephen Lawson for a few days and the same yeah. thing. There, there's some things there that I think he and I disagree on, but generally like 99% of what he says, I, I track with and, and I follow and, and it feeds me. Uh, John Piper is another one. He's a pastor of pastors, really. I, I mean, Piper. I always feel like he's preaching to pastors because I feel like I, I just deepen and he, I mean, John Piper, he preaches a passage of Bible and you know how he illustrates it is he uses 
other stories from the scripture to illustrate it. <laughs> like, you know, he's a, well, and this is, I mean, that's just his illustrations are more scripture. And yeah. so I always feel like I'm just, uh, in, in engulfed in, in more and more pictures of scripture. And, and I, I just, he was one of the first preachers I ever really started listening to. Yeah, me too. And it yeah. just gave me such a passion to preach and, and t- teach well. Right. Um, and, and Piper and these guys, these are guys, I mean, maybe not so much MacArthur, but he is, he's passionate, not as much though. Lawson gets passionate, but there's this term, it's logic on fire is what preaching is. Yes. And so you're, you're preaching with logic. You're not just all pulling emotional strings. There is an argument. There is a direction. There is a structure. It is built in and out of the scripture. It is, it is clear what the text says, but it's not just, I'm going to stand up there and drone on and, and and monotone voice and not move and not make eye contact and just say what I want to say. No, it's, you need to be lit up and you need to be passionate because it's the word of God. It is the most important thing that we can be doing is to be faithfully delivering God's word. I mean, Charles Spurgeon, he said, if you're a preacher of the word of God, why would you ever stoop to become a king? Yeah. And this this idea, like what we're doing is so important. It is, it is, it's not meant to be boring. It's not meant to be, you know, just let me stand up here and say something. It's, this is God's word. You need to hear it. Right. And so conviction comes out of expositional preaching. If you're not convicted by what you're preaching, again, you probably shouldn't be preaching. Yeah. So that, that brings up something that I, I, I wanted to share. Uh, when I was in college, I was trained by the book, uh, biblical preaching by Hayden Robinson. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Everyone's read that. Yeah. Okay. Every so, preacher's read that. Yeah. Right. 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 So <clears throat> one of the the first like the first chapter talks about like how do we judge a good sermon? Because if you don't know the point of a good sermon, how do you know if it was a good message or not? It's like someone walking into uh, an opera and not really understanding the point of an opera and just basing it on whatever you think a concert should be. You make this assessment and realize like, oh, I'm I'm way off. I don't appreciate this at the level I should appreciate this because I don't know what the point of this is. And I bring this up because at the time growing up, I, I love sermons that make me feel wrecked at the end of it. Not because I like feeling guilty, but when I feel broken, I just feel God's love at that capacity. So I I'm excited to know that God is great and that where I have an opportunity now to repent of my sins. I actually really enjoy sermons that are uncomfortable but with that said, sermons aren't always meant to be uncomfortable. Like I, I think there's an attitude that I know I've, I've had to be cautious of when I've grown up and watching pastors call people towards repentance. You should do that. But to be faithful to the text is not always about sin, hell and damnation. Sometimes it's just about the glory of Christ and the hope and the comfort that he brings. Yeah. So what should be the expectation of a good passage, whether emotions aside, how can we tell a, a, good, a sermon is a good sermon or yeah. how do you feel like you've listened to a good sermon? When, when yeah. So first and foremost, it, it makes God look like God is God. Like he yeah. is, he is amazing. He is jaw dropping, majestic and glorious 
he, I think that's what you're talking about when you feel wrecked because a good sermon, what it does is it reminds you of the awesomeness of God in where I stand before him. Mm -hmm. I'm not, Hey God, look at how awesome I am. I am a, I am a rebellious sinner before him. Right. So I, I stand before this perfect judge and yet he shows me love and compassion and grace Right. And so the second part of that is it's, it's Christ centered. Yeah. Right. It, it reminds me that because of Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection, because of that, I now enter into the presence of this amazing God. I approach him with confidence and boldness. Right. Right. I can go before him and cry out, Abba, father to him. He is, he has adopted me. I am his child. Right. Like he looks at me and he sees the righteousness of Christ not because I'm good, but because of what Jesus has done. That is the core of a great sermon, right? And now what falls out of that is if we're preaching on marriage, here's how that applies to being a husband. Right. And here's how that applies to being a wife. If we're, uh, if we're preaching a passage that deals with finances, well, here's how that applies to being a steward and, and spending my money and giving my money and using my money in a way that glorifies this awesome God that has accepted me in Christ, right? If I'm preaching a, 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 if we're preaching about evangelism, well, what's the motive of evangelism? Do I just keep my faith to myself and I, I, you know, I go to work and I come home? No, no. There is an amazing God that others need to know about and his grace in Christ Jesus. So that's what drives me desire to, to tell others about who Jesus is. That's what a good sermon does it. It makes so much of God. It centers on Christ. And then it pushes me. It drives me not just to faith, but to action, to living differently because of who God is, who Christ is, and now who I am because of that. It's that again, if we want to be really connect the dots between the triune nature of God, it leads me to be led by the spirit into the world on mission. Yeah. I think as you were describing that, I I agree with everything in it. for what you just said, it boils down to three words for me. Uh, a good sermon, number one, will glorify God in his truth. It doesn't justify my sin. It doesn't justify my lifestyle. It lets me know that God is God and where he draws a line. And because he is good, I want to trust in him. Oftentimes, though, when God is glorified, I'm challenged. And I think that's the next thing for me as I start to see like my brokenness, my depravity and all that. But it's Isaiah six, right? Yes. Yes. Isaiah standing before the Lord. Woe is me for I am, I am a sinner. I'm of unclean lips and I come from a people who are of unclean lips. Like like I, I am wrecked before God and the coal comes and is placed upon his lips. Right. Right. Yes. And we have Christ who comes in his, we're placed in him Mm -hmm. and we are transformed. And that's so then, so there's that glory of God's glory shows up. I'm challenged by that because he is just a magnificent God and his truth is it, it encourages, it lifts me up or encourages me. It does something and it challenges me because sometimes I, I think, I think sometimes I beat myself up so much that I, I forget that I'm a child of God and the God, I don't, sometimes from a religious standpoint, I think if we intentionally, uh, some, I think some pastors and preachers, they want to beat up people just because they want to beat up people. And that's not the goal of preaching. No, nope. it's just to glorify God. And when you stand before God, when his glory shows up, it's going to do something. It's either convict or comfort, but mostly probably convict. But then the last part I wrote is that based on that challenge, I want to respond to mm-hmm. it. And to me, it's those tangible steps yep. that a preacher can lay out at times. Right. So if it is a, a message on stewardship and I know that I've been living at a poor reflection of God's stewardship, I need to respond by like, you know what? I need to learn how to steward my finances. Well, if I've been angry 
with someone and I see that God has mercy on me, I need to have, I need to be merciful. So I need to go through some steps to, to do that. So it's a full package because there are times, there have been a couple of times I've listened to a message and I would feel the presence of God and I walk away like, but what do I do with this now? What do I, what do I, what do I do? And usually, you know, I can think of my own ways to, to respond to that. But I think a good sermon at that point, a good expositional sermon has expounded the word of God, has led me to experience God's glory, challenged me, and then has helped me figure out a way to respond in a healthy way. And sometimes those action steps are as simple as belief. Yeah. And I'm, I'm more than comfortable with there being messages that we end up preaching that say, here's what you do. Believe. That, that's trust actually, in who God is and who Christ is and the right. spirit in you. That is a good point. Cause I think we can often fall into this idea of uh, pragmatism and we just want everything to be really like pragmatic. But other times like you just need to know, like you need to inform your worldview so that when you, you know, come into an issue, you know how to think through it. And cause you know who God is and you know how this God views a situation. That's, that's, that's a good reminder. So. I once uh, preached a series on the four aspects of atonement and the, the step for each of them was to believe it, right? We talked about how yeah. people are reconciled, right? How they, they've experienced propitiation for their sins. They, they've been justified. And what's the fourth one? Uh, I'm trying to remember. We said, which ones did you say already? Justified is the last one. Okay. But isn't that, you just said that, right? Justified, okay. reconciled, propitiation, and reconciliation. It's, yeah. Well, those are four. I'm not sure that's the order. <laughs> we'll have to Brain look it up later. Yeah. This is what happens when we don't hear any notes into it. We just, we, do, we just shoot from the hip. Listener, just so you know, sometimes we are prepared. Other times we just, we just go. <laughs> All right. Um, we're actually coming up on time here, Mike. So do you have any closing thoughts or anything you'd like to, to share about expositional preaching and the nine marks of a healthy church? I think that we're going to keep doing it. Yeah. You know, and I think we're going to keep growing at it. And, you know, I guess my, here's my final thought. I feel like I grow as a preacher every week. I, I don't think I'm, I'm on my heels yet and I hope I never am. I mean, it's, I don't feel like I've preached a perfect sermon and I'm going to keep growing and hopefully we all will. And you know, yeah. it's a, it's kind of a moving target in terms of being faithful to the text and being growing in that and our ability to handle it. But it's, yeah. you know, doing the best we can week after week, trying to faithfully hold God's word in front of God's people. That's good. As we go through, and it, cause I think we're going to be talking more and more about the nine marks of a healthy church. I think I bring this up. It's on my heart because there are times when this is helpful so that people could hold us accountable as we lead and we say, Hey, we want to be a healthy church, but also for anybody who's listening, who says, man, I, you know, I just moved to a new area and I need to, I need to find a new church for myself or something. These are some of the things that you should be listening, listening for. And honestly, the first thing you should be listening for in a healthy church is, is the word of God honored? Is it authoritative in that? Or is the will of man? Um, is that, is that, is that what sets the tone for churches? Because, God's word is God's word. And it's, it's important that we, we, we honor that. I agree, man. Yeah. This has been good. Yeah. If you have any questions or any comments, uh, we'd love to hear from you. You can write to us at podcast at vcflongview.org. Um, I would say if you are listening on the SoundCloud 
Uh, if you go to vcflongview.org under the blog post, you'll see uh, these are now being posted on our website and there are now links to be able to subscribe through iTunes and through Android devices. So when these come out, they go straight to your phone and you can just listen to it whenever, uh, whenever they pop up. So, you know, when you're running, when you're driving a car, when you're, you know, living your life. Yeah. So, all right. Thanks for listening. Redemption. Oh, that was the, that's the fourth aspect. All right. You wanted to, it took me a minute. Go ahead and go through all four just so they, they, they have them succinct. It's redemption, reconciliation, justification, and propitiation. There you go. We'll, maybe we'll do a podcast on those later. We, we should. All right. Have a great day, everyone. Bye.